Hello, Brian Zond here. Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast. We'll get to the message in just a moment, but I want to let you know that we have an online prayer school coming up at the first of the year. You know, the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but to be properly formed. That's what prayer school is all about. And so January 8, 9, and 10, I'm doing two online prayer schools. One is at 1 p.m. Central Time, and then there's another one, 7 p.m. Central Time. So whatever, you know, works for you, you can pick which one you want to be a part of. And you can get registered for this online prayer school by going to wolc.com slash prayer school. You can register for a donation of any amount. So prayer school coming up January 8, 9, and 10. Get registered. Matthew. Chapter 2, verse 12, on this day after Epiphany. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. By another road. Five centuries before the wise men from the east made their long pilgrimage to Bethlehem of Judea to find and worship the Christ. Five centuries before that, Isaiah had prophesied of a pilgrimage of nations that would come to Israel, they would come to the light in Israel, and they would bring their gifts, and that it would mark something very significant. It would mark the beginning of the end of the dominion of idolatry over the Gentiles. And why will this begin to bring the end of idolatry among Gentiles? Because they will receive an epiphany, a revelation from God concerning the true nature of the living God. And so Isaiah in chapter 60 prophesied that In a time of deep darkness upon the people, gross darkness upon the nations, that a light would appear and shine in Israel. That's the prophecy. There's there's going to be a light that's going to shine. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Glory, the Lord has risen upon Israel. That in Israel there's going to be a light that's going to shine. And it's going to be a beacon that's going to attract People from around the world, kings and Gentile nations will be drawn, Isaiah prophesied, to the brightness of this light. And they will not come empty-handed, Isaiah prophesied 500 years before the birth of Christ. They will bring gifts with them and they will, bring, they, they will come with camels to bring the wealth of the nations to this glory that is arising in Israel. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Then, 500 years go by. It's a long time. And then, in Persia, we call it Iran today. In Persia, there's these wise men, magi, to be more specific. These are... These are royal court 
astronomer astrologers. They're connected to the royal court. They're highly trained, very educated. They belong to the elite. But what makes them unique is they stay up at night. They watch the night skies. They're astronomers in that they map the heavens. They're astrologers in that they seem that they, they seek to divine meaning from the stars. Well, anyway, 500 years after Isaiah's prophecy, these magi in Persia read an auspicious sign in the stars that in Judea, a great king is born. Not, not merely great, divine. And so great is the birth, not the coronation, but the birth of this king that they feel compelled. They have to make the pilgrimage. They have to go. It's a thousand miles, but they have to go. They, they have to travel to Judea, find this newborn king, present gifts to him, and pay him homage. And so they set out. And first they arrive in Jerusalem and get pretty close to wrecking everything. Because this is how Herod is tipped off that now there is what he would view as a rival. They get a little bit more clarification, though, from some of the scribes who know the scriptures. And finally, they make their way to Bethlehem. The star that had started their journey reappears and directs them specifically to where they need to go. And they're so filled with joy. And finally, they, they find where the Christ child is this king of the Jews, and they, they, they come and they bring their gifts and they bow down before Jesus. Now it's time for them to go back home. They're getting ready to go back home. They've completed their pilgrimage. But they have a dream. They're warned in a dream. Do not Go back the way you came. Do not go back to King Herod. And so they departed for their own country by another road. By another road. And they make the long journey back. And we may wonder, what was it like for them when they got back home? They'd been on this pilgrimage. They'd seen this baby. They'd worshipped this baby. Now they, they come back home by another road. Are they changed? Oh, yeah. What's that like? Well, this might require the imagination of a poet. T.S. Eliot. I think he's the finest poet of the 20th century except for maybe Bob Dylan you know they both were given the Nobel Prize for Literature T.S. Eliot in 1948 Bob Dylan in 2016 this is one of my favorite I have read this to you more than once but it's that good it's called Journey of the Magi and let, me, let me set it up and I'll read it to you it's written from the perspective of one of the Magi who had made that pilgrimage 
and seen the child and then has come back home. And now many years have passed. Let's say, let's say 30 years have passed. Let's say just for the sake of imagination, let's say this Magi was 40 years old when he went to Bethlehem of Judea. And now he's 70 and he remembers and he talks to us about it. A cold coming we had of it. Just the worst time of the year for a journey and such a long journey. The ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. And the camels galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we missed the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camel men, cursing and grumbling, running away and wanting their liquor and women, and the night fires going out and the lack of shelters, and the cities hostile and the towns unfriendly and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices ringing in our ears saying that this was all folly. Then, at dawn, we came down to a temperate valley, wet, below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a water mill beating the darkness and three trees on the low sky. And an old white horse galloped away in the meadow. Then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lintel, six hands at an open door dicing for pieces of silver and kicking the empty wineskins. But there was no information. And so we continued and arrived at evening, not a moment too soon. Finding the place, it was, you may say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago. I remember, and I would do it again. But set down, this set down, this, were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought that they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We return to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. I love this poem. I love it so much. And I love it in part because it tells some of my own story. I resonate with it. I get it. The story of a long, hard journey to discover Christ that ends in both birth and death. Sometimes there has to be a death of the old to make room for birth for the new. Um, sometimes they're the same thing. Sometimes birth and death are really the same thing. Now, I'm telling you this, but I know that I don't need to tell most of you because you already know this. You, you also, because, yeah, this is kind of telling my story, but it's telling your story too. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. I, I know why you're here. I mean, you, you send me the messages. I read them. 
I know why you're here. Because this is your story too. Once you've seen the star and with great joy found Jesus in a new and beautiful way, guess what? You have to change. You just have to. But here's the thing. Becoming a new person in the middle of life is challenging for everyone involved. It's challenging for you. It's challenging for your friends and family. They've got to now reassess you. They've got to figure out what happened to you. They have to have an accounting. They have to decide whether they like it or not. They have to decide whether they're on board with your new thing or not. That's what this poem's about. I mean, T.S. Eliot knows about this. You know his story? Probably don't. He was born in like, I think, 1888, St. Louis, Missouri. Grew up in Missouri, moved to England. Became a Christian, was baptized and became a Christian at age 39. So that's, you know, a midlife conversion that was very deep and very serious. And of course, it changed him. And then it was a challenge for him. It was a challenge for those that were around him. Did you hear what happened to Tom Elliott? Went and got religion. See, he knows about those things. And he channels that sense of change because of what you've encountered in Christ into the Magi in his poem. So this is your story too. You can no longer be at ease in the old dispensation. You may be misunderstood by some people who are now an alien people clutching to their old ideas of God. And then you will be warned by the Holy Spirit that from now on you need to travel by another road. One reason that after nearly 50 years of following Jesus. It'll be 50 years this year, the end of this year. One reason that after nearly 50 years of following Jesus and over 40 years of full-time ministry that I'm not bored, burned out, jaded, or cynical is because many times, in many ways, including by dreams, I have been warned and wooed by the Holy Spirit that now it is time to travel by another road. It has happened. This has happened in my life. It doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen every year. But there have been key moments in my life where the Spirit warned and wooed me. He says, not that road anymore, Brian. This road. Now, the Magi found Jesus by following a star. And this, is, this has captured our imagination in a million Christmas cards. You know, those, those three magi on those camels with the star. I used to be fascinated by, what was that star? And I read like a stack of books on it. This is like 25 years ago. You know, was it, was it a, one, two, three, a triple conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter in the constellation of Pisces? 
that they were able to somehow say, oh, a mighty king of the Jews has been born. I don't know. Was, was it that? I don't know. Today, that's no longer what interests me. Today, the story itself is just enough. Just the story as it's told. I don't know what it was. I have the story. That's enough. Besides, the star of the Magi, whatever it was, the star of the Magi will not be my star or your star. You're not going to find what you're looking for by astrology, <laughs> if I can just say that. Their star will not be your star. But we do have a star to guide us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. There's your star. This passage of Scripture, this is a dense little verse here, but what's going on is, well, the prophetic message that Peter is referring to here is the Old Testament prophecies. And Peter is saying, pay attention to the prophets. You know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, etc. Pay attention to the prophets because that's the Bible they had, right? Peter's in, in the process of writing the New Testament. Although I doubt that that was something he was thinking about, but you know. Pay attention to the prophets until you see these prophecies fulfilled in Christ. Pay attention, pay attention to these prophecies until you can see Jesus in them. So, for example, just for example, you might open up your Bible to Isaiah 60 and you read, you're, you're, you're a new Christian, you know. And the Bible you have is the, the, the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew Bible. And you open up your Bible to Isaiah 60 and you read, Arise, shine, for thy light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And you go, oh, that's Jesus right there. That's Jesus. That's who that is. That's talking about Jesus. And according to Peter, Jesus is then the morning star who arises in our hearts and begins to flood our entire being with light. We, we come out of the darkness, into the dawn, into the full day. The Bible itself is not an end in itself. The Bible doesn't point to itself. The Bible points us to Jesus. The Bible is the lamp shining in the dark place that we need. For our journeys. It's the, Bible. the Bible is the lamp shining in a dark place until, well, I mean, we're, not, we're never done with the Bible, but I'm just saying that what Peter is saying is the Old Testament, because that's, that's what he's referring to. The Old Testament, those Old Testament texts are a lamp shining in a dark place, thank God, until the day dawns and the morning star, or like Malachi said, the sun of righteousness rises with healing in his Raise. If we read the Bible, but the morning star of Christ doesn't rise in our hearts to guide us, then it does us no good. Without the light of Christ, without the light of, without the light of Christ, you can use the Bible to justify all kinds of stuff you should not justify. 
I mean, if you just want to do the chapter and verse thing, proof texting, you can, you can abuse the Bible to justify wars of conquest, capital punishment, genocide, holding women as property, the institution of slavery, and a lot of other things. That's not what it's for. When we pay attention to the prophetic message of Scripture by seeking to find Christ in it, that's when the morning star rises in our hearts, and that's the star that we're to follow. The living Christ who brings light to the world and to our life. Now, following the morning star of Christ that rose in my heart is how and why I began to journey by another road. 20 years ago, the morning star of Christ began to rise in my heart and called me to walk other roads. I've been, you know, I just, I, I'd, I'd, been an, I'd been a pastor for 20 years I'd, and I I'd had these war, I had these paths, I, the roads that I always traveled. This is what I did, this is what I did, this is what I did, this is what I did. But then I began to be warned, you can't keep on that road. I know it's comfortable, I know it's easy, I know you know the way. I know you ever know every turn and you're comfortable and you just cruise down that road without thinking about it. Don't go that road anymore, Brian. I want you to walk some new roads. Some of you remember this. Roads like cross, mystery, eclectic community, revolution. Remember that? And these, these were taking me off of other roads. So I, I was used to the road of pretty much, let's be honest about it, kind of consumer Christianity. Give the people what they want, you know. And the Spirit said, no, I want you to lean into cross. Take that road. Mystery. You, you've walked the road of certitude. Leave that road. Embrace more mystery. Eclectic. Oh, Brian, you're, 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 you've been way too sectarian. You have your little, you know, charismatic word of faith. That's all you know. That's your little tiny world. It's too sectarian. It's too small. It's too narrow. You need to wake up. Become more ecumenical. Realize that there are treasures throughout the entire width of the body of Christ. Cross, mystery, eclectic. Community. Brian, you live in a society that is highly individualistically oriented. Stress community, stress community. Try to push back on the what's in it for me. Stress the communal nature of the Christian life. And then finally, revolution. That's the big one. That was the Holy Spirit warning me. Whew, whew, thank God. Whew. 20 years ago, 20 years ago, not two years ago. Two years ago would have been too late. 20 years ago, Holy Spirit warned me, Brian, your Christianity is mixed up too much in politics. It's too politicized. And there's nothing revolutionary about that. That is mundane and pedestrian as if Jesus needs elephants or donkeys on his team to get his will done. Leave that road and find the truly revolutionary road of the kingdom of Christ. And I walked that road and it was massively unpopular with a lot of people. I don't care. Well, I care. I cared then. It was painful. But totally worth it. And so, so eventually, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, coming up in August... It was August. Some, there's a few of you that will remember this. Not a many. <laughs> a few. You, so, I want to know, does anybody remember me? 
up here. There's purple carpet like there's down up here. But I was wearing a suit, I'm sure. (laughs) Preaching on a Sunday morning in August of 2004 saying, I'm packing my bags from the charismatic movement. It's time for us to move on. I'm, I'm moving in a new direction. Remember that? And of course, everybody, they applauded it until I did it. It was applauded until I actually did it. As, as a piece of rhetoric in a sermon, it was popular. As far as an actual reality, not so much. But that was being warned by the Spirit. Okay, I, I, I think the Holy Spirit was saying something like, Brian, that was a fine road for you at the time. You've come to the end of it. If you stay here, it's no longer going to take you where you want to go. You're going to have to be willing to travel by another road. You're not going to find home by staying on that road. If you want to find home, you have to travel by another road. And then eventually, the, I could go on and on, you know. The star of Christ, we could say it that way, led me away from a, a theology of an angry, angry, violent, retributive God. And I began to see God really perfectly revealed in Jesus. God is like Jesus. And that's where sinners in the hands of a loving God came from. You know, I know it can be scary to in the middle of life begin to travel by another road, but when the Holy Spirit warns and woos you to take another road, you better take it. Prayer, prayer. Let's talk about prayer for just a second. Prayer, because we've got prayer school coming up. Prayer. Now, from the moment I was saved as a teenager, I tried to pray. I put forth effort. I did. I tried. Nobody ever taught me how to pray, at least no one that knew what they were doing. (laughs) I know that sounds, well, it's my story. I tried to pray. I did. It just it wasn't very good. It wasn't, I was on a certain prayer road that was never going to get me to where I really needed to be. And then, by the grace of God, I found another road. Another road of prayer that involved liturgy and some things like that. And my goodness, that road changed my life. And now I've done prayer school 95 times, getting ready for number 96 and 97. Well, if in midlife, because this all begins at 45 on, if in midlife I'd refuse to walk by another road, whew, I, you know. Well, I mean, it, it would have been, come on now, how many of you understand it would have been very easy for you to say, you know, this is pretty cushy. This church is doing all right. I'm the pastor. Just kind of cruise. I know this road. I know how this road works. Why would, I, why would I change? Why would you do that? Other than the Holy Spirit's warning you, don't go back that way anymore. Don't go, no. I know, I know you've got, no, not this time. Now you walk this road. If I had refused that, ooh, I don't know what would have happened. I, I, it's entirely possible that I would have become bored, burned out, jaded, and cynical. But I didn't. Thank God. By the grace of God. Thank God I didn't. And the second half of my life has been richer and more rewarding than the first half. 
Now, I'm telling some of my story today. I realize that. But here's the thing. In my story, Jesus is always the hero. It's Jesus. Jesus who I'm seeking. Jesus who I'm trying. I mean, here's a, come on. I'll just, I'll just tell a little bit more. When I was 15 years old, that long-haired Led Zeppelin freak. Jesus said, oh, look at BZ. Look at him. Whew. Fry, that was what they called me. Look at Fry. Six more months on the road he's on and he's going to be in trouble. He's going to ruin his life before he even gets it started. And so Jesus came crashing into my life and said, follow me. I'm like, okay. And I did. And the common vernacular for what happened was I was saved. I was saved from where I was heading and what I was going to do with my life. I, okay. And I followed, and I followed Jesus in that vein, that basic trajectory for 30 years. But then after 30 years of that, Jesus said, now follow me some more. Isn't this the way we've always gone this way, Jesus? Yeah, not to now, not now. Now we're going to go this way. I don't know this road. I know you don't. What's down that road? Come and see, follow me, come with me. That's my story. And it's about Jesus. So if you feel something nudging you to travel spiritually by another road, and if that road leads in the direction of love and mercy and kindness and peace and most of all, Jesus, if I were you, I'd take that road. I'd follow that road. In our, I mean, even if people don't understand it, you know what I'm talking about. In our spiritual journey of following Jesus, we are, I've uh, been reading C.S. Lewis all week. I can't help it here now. We're, we're, we're entering into Narnia and Aslan's on the move. And the cry is further up, further in. And sometimes we have to go by another road. Amen and amen. amen. Stand up with me. Let's come to Jesus. Let's come to the living Christ. Let's come to the one that can save us. Let's come to the one who gives us his life, gives us his body and his blood for our life. He said, my flesh I give for the life of the world. And we're going to come and partake of the bread and the cup. And receive the life of Christ in this moment. This is holy. This is sacred. This is wonderful. This is, this is, this is the moment where, once again, we touch Jesus. And he touches us. And through the mystery of sacrament, his life is communicated to you. You're participating in the life of Jesus Christ. Join with me now in confessing, first of all, our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join with me in confessing our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.